Welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. I'm your host today, Alan Bolin. I'm joined from Hoyt by Evan Williams, and we have the pleasure of talking with Bill Winky today. Hey, Bill, how you doing? I'm good, good. How are you? Fantastic, Bill. I got to tell you, man, I'm really excited to chat with you because I have like devoured your articles for the last couple of decades. And, uh, and even, you know, a few podcasts of yours as well, I've heard and really, really enjoyed. So I'm, I'm excited to be part of this process because, you know, I have a few questions, right. That I, I would like to, you know, I, I don't think we've quite hit on other podcasts and articles. So let's get, get down and get deep on stuff on whitetail hunting. It's really great yeah. to have you on. No, looking forward to it. Thank you. So, um, Today, Evan and I were thinking about talking about field judging with you um, and getting into like some of your philosophies on on scoring bucks, but also like aging bucks. Mm-hmm. And I, we, we talked for just a few seconds before the show and you you kind of like threw me off a little bit because I was going to get all into the inches and Boone and Crockett and all these different things. Right. And, and like how to put together a 170 buck and on and on. And, and, and you kind of like started talking a lot about age class. And I was wondering, could you go into that a little bit? Why did, why did you go that direction? Well, the, the, you know, I started doing it even before uh, the Midwest whitetail days with the video, uh, even with the magazine work, because you run into that situation where you talk inches it only applies to certain people in certain areas, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and it's really not, like let's say that a person lives in Tennessee or he lives in, um, you know, someplace in the South, maybe Michigan even, or, or Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. I mean, great whitetail states, but you start talking about a buck of a certain score uh, and that, that sets an unattainable standard. And it really kind of makes those guys feel like you're not, you're not helping them. Like you're not talking to them almost like they're being disrespected because they can't hunt deer that size. So I stayed completely away from score for a long time and really focused in on age. And even then you have to be a little bit careful because, you know, a three-year-old buck is an old buck in some States, whereas, you know, maybe the places that I hunt a five-year-old buck is getting there, you know? So you're always trying to figure out, okay, what is, as you're teaching people, you know, how to improve their craft and how to enjoy the sport more, what is that standard? I mean, what is the thing that we're looking at saying, okay, we've got these levels of quality. You know, it's not fair to pick on the antler score because, you know, it's just not attainable in a lot of places. But age or what I really kind of came back to was if you kill a buck that's one year older than what most of the people in the area where you hunt are shooting, then you have to call that a trophy for your area. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so then the guy in Michigan says, well, heck, a, you know, a, a three-year-old then becomes a trophy. Where, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Iowa, you know, I would be saying, no, it's got to be a five-year-old. But it's not fair, you know, because you're going across all these different, um, you know, situations where people just don't have that option of letting these bucks get to that age. You know, their competition is too high or the pressure is too high or whatever, you know, you want to call it. But the bucks don't get old enough and they don't get big antlers. So you got to have a standard where you can kind of communicate with everybody and you can and you can move them forward. You can lead people if you're one step ahead. But if you're 12 steps ahead and they can't see you, you go around the corner, you're gone. You know, so it doesn't do you any good to be preaching about a 170 inch buck when they've never seen a 130. Um, So isn't isn't it relative, though, Bill? So if like, let's say I'm hunting in Florida and a a 130 is a buck of a lifetime. 
um, I still have to know how to score to be able to judge something, right? It's just, it's relative. It, it, know, depends, I, on, it depends on what your goal is. And again, you know, you may, you may think, why do we get Bill Winkie on this podcast today? He's, he's, <laughs> ruining, he's ruining my idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really what I think is uh, the attainable, the attainable trophies for, for people is, is age related. Uh, because even in the places that I hunt, even great places, they're not always big deer. You know, some years on my farm, I may only have, you know, three bucks over, you know, four years old, you know, but mm -hmm. those are all trophies. They might score 130, 125, 160, you know, whatever they are, those three bucks. Um, the, the deer doesn't know what he's got on his head. He's a trophy because he made that age. He's not a trophy because of what he's wearing on his head. You know, I'm not all, I'm not against scoring at all. You know, I just feel like you shouldn't set that standard because that number is kind of arbitrary. You know, it's just luck. You know, there's a buck right. that you hunt that's five years old that scores 140. He's really as good a trophy as that buck that you score or that you hunt that's five years old that scores 160. Um, that number is like this arbitrary scale that we came up with. The challenge of that animal is related to his age. So, yeah, hunt him based on age. But if you want to score the deer, then, you know, great, score him later. You know, but don't make the hunt about the score because that takes too much away from, you know, what's really available to you in the, in the places that you hunt. Um, I feel like you turn the, the, the memory into a number. Um, mm -hmm. So like, and I've been in camps like that before too. And again, I'm not down on scoring, so don't get me wrong on that. I'm just saying that you have to balance it and it has to have its place. But I've been in camps before where uh, a guy shot a really nice buck and it scored 159 and he was on cloud nine until the number came in. And it was 159, and then he was bummed because he wanted a 160. You know, and I was like, gosh, dang it, you know, that that was an awesome deer for you, and that was an awesome memory for you until you put the tape on that rack. Um, mm -hmm. So I, what I tell people is don't don't score them right away. You know, I mean, if the antler, if the score means something to you, you know, enjoy the experience, the memory, you know, wait until that starts to dull. You know, maybe it's six months for you. Maybe it's a year, whatever it is. You know, don't throw the tape on the deer right away as soon as you, you bring it into camp or as soon as you bring it back home again, because the deer, the experience didn't change. The only thing that changed was this, this number. Mm -hmm. um, so, again, I, like I said, I, I don't want to keep beating it, but I'm not an anti-score. I just feel like it has to be balanced because the overall experience shouldn't be about the number. And, yeah. and uh, you don't want it to, to become that. Um, so anyway, that, that's my position so on it. I, I got a thought. I got a thought to run by you, Bill. And yeah. hopefully, it's, if hopefully it's okay if I question you a little and, and maybe maybe even disagree a little bit. But yeah. uh, so if let's say I'm hunting a property and and like you said, you know, there's a certain number of five year olds. Say there's four or five year olds on the property, and one of them happens to be by far the biggest of the four. Yeah. So in my mind, I've taken what was already a difficult task to kill a five-year-old and I've made it four times harder because now I only want to kill one of the five-year-olds, yep. right? So I've increased the level of difficulty, increased the level of challenge to not only kill an old buck, but kill the biggest old buck. Yep. And no, that's he, all good. He, I mean, you ever feel that? Like, I mean, as a serious whitetail hunter, I imagine you do obviously chase the biggest one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. And, and, um, 
But if, if he's not there, like let's say the biggest one's in 140, I don't want to say my season is a, is a, you know, a failure or a lost not season right. or whatever. Yeah. So that, that's why you have to be careful because not always is that biggest five-year-old on their farm, or if you're, you know, in a different state, the biggest three-year-old, not always, not always will that be a big antlered buck. Um, yeah. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm not going to care what he scores. He's going to be the biggest one. I'm going to try to get him. And then if I want to put a tape on him later, I will, but it's not the, the, the hunt and the memory. That's not, it's, it's not about the number. It's about all the rest mm-hmm. of it that goes with it. And the number is just something that you add afterwards. Yeah. Um, so, but let's say that, let's just back it off. And I know people who say, well, I want to kill a 170 before I die. Okay. Um, how, how do you go about doing that? Well, I mean, obviously you got to hunt places where they live mm-hmm. and then you've got to have, you know, trail cam data and you've got to say, okay, he's a 170. You know I mean? If that's really your goal, like you're saying, Hey, there's a certain number that I have to have, then there's no point in hunting places where there's not one. Right. right. Or the yeah. odds are so incredibly low that it's almost a waste of time. Yeah, that's right. And, and there's yeah. a lot of places like that. So yeah. let's just say there's a handful of places in the whole, you know, North America where that's reasonably possible where you could say, Hey, I've got a bow in my hand. I'm going to kill a 170 this year. Mm-hmm. That's my goal. Well, then you do have to know how to, how to field score them, but right. you probably need, you probably need to do that off a trail camera because you can't just show up in Eastern Kansas and say, I'm going to kill a 170. Wait, mm-hmm. You might not even be there, right? right. So I mean, if that's really your goal, you only have you're only going to hunt the places where there is one, right? So you got to have a lot of options. You've got to run those cameras. You've got to know where that deer is. So you've probably already scored him, you know, three or four times from trail cam photos. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, he's a 170, you know. But so for me, um, field judging whitetails doesn't even exist <laughs> because it's, because there's so much camera work these days. Yeah. Not only that, but, and also I'm I'm so age focused now that if he's the biggest one, I don't care what he scores. You know, like, like you said, maybe he scores 180, maybe he scores 150. But he's the biggest back. Yeah. Yeah. It's more fun if he's 80 for sure, you know, at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then, then taking field judging to another level where it's not just about the score. When I field judge or when you're looking at animals on trail camera, you are field judging. You're just judging body size, hind quarters, front shoulders, neck proportions, you're field judging body to go along with an age class instead of a, a physical inch score on what they're sporting on top. Yeah, it's, it's different. It's way harder, I think, to, uh, to field judge age on deer that you don't have any history with than antlers. Um, right. That's really hard, I think. And, and, so, but on a camera, you have a lot better shot. It's tough, like on the hoof to immediately get the right angles. I mean, you can tell, obviously that buck's probably four or five. That, I mean, yeah. you can spot a two or three-year-old immediately, but, yeah. but that the difference between, you know, the four and five-year-old might not be as easy to know. That's right. And that's, that's right. And that's where the experience on that property or the history with the animals comes in, because mm-hmm. I'm sure there are people who, who can do it, but more than likely they're going to be wrong at least a third of the time. You know, the, the Especially on the hoof. Hoof. I mean, on a camera, you got 10 different angles. You can see the brisket, the neck, the shoulder, I mean, everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you got a better chance. If you've got 25 pictures of a buck, you got a better chance of, of guessing how old he is than if you see him, you know, walking through the woods at right. 40 yards. Right. I like a lot. I like what you're saying about, I want to go back to something you were saying before we move on. Cause I, I like the direction we're heading too, but I want to touch on one thing. 
you know, you were talking about the hunter experience and, and the hunter basing the hunt on score and, and really basing like their level of satisfaction and enjoyment based on, on inches. And of course that sounds preposterous. Like when you hear it, like who would do that? But I too have seen that. And to some degree I've felt it a time or two, but what I've, what I've, the last many years, I'm like a very, very serious, like trophy hunter, like scorer and all that stuff. But what I've started doing is, and I think it just gets into hunter mentality and like, why are you there and how do you define it and all that stuff. But I've started combining hunts and calling them one hunt. Like I killed my first whitetail a couple of years ago. It was my 87th day in the stand. <laughs> and, and, but, and that was over, over eight years. Oh gosh. Because I live in Utah, right? Yeah. So I, over eight years, I spent 87 days in the stand and I killed my first whitetail. Now, Bill, the way I see that is it was one hunt and it was successful. It was an 87 day long hunt and it finally <laughs> ended successful. I'm serious. That's the way I see it. And I enjoyed every freaking minute of it. It was a blast, an absolute blast. And I, at the end of the season, when I would go, I was in Ohio for several years and on my way home, I'd be like, man, I just cannot wait till next year. It was so much fun. And I think that like enjoying the experience, like how do we get there where we're not basing it? Like, you know, I mean, there's one thing like to base it on. I think that the same question comes up, like basing it on inches, but also basing it on a kill. Right. Like I'm, I'm upset if I don't kill something like I've personally got past that. And I don't know, like, how do we do that? How do we enjoy the journey? Well, that's, that's the challenge for a lot of people, obviously. And, and, you know, I battle it too. You know, I feel like if I don't shoot something that it was an unsuccessful season. Um, but what I like your, your perspective on that. It wasn't a season. It was an, it was an unsuccessful part of a hunt, you know, mm-hmm. a part, a part of the quest that was unsuccessful. You haven't killed him yet. You know, right. and, and that that's better than saying I didn't kill one. It's better to say I didn't kill one yet, you know, because then it don't, kind of leaves the, the, the sentence open. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think the that's the hard part. You know, I, I do like the hunt, I think, better than the kill. But yeah. somehow you have to kill to have hunted. You know, that's the old saying sure. that, you know, I mean, you know, you don't you don't hunt in order to kill, but you kill to have hunted. Well, mm-hmm. if you're not going to shoot one, then you're not really hunting, you know? So, um, yeah. Cause after I shoot one, it's like, now what, you know, dang it. Now I'm done. You know, I, I don't want to be done. Right. You know, I'd rather, I didn't get this one, you know? So that's always a, a kind of a mixed emotion, you know, when I fill a tag because then you're done and the quest is over and maybe it was the deer that you were after and the deer filled your dreams for a couple of seasons and now you've killed him. Um, now what, you know, and, and the quest is over, the, the game is over, the, you know, it's like watching a great football game. You don't want it to end, you know? So that, that's the, that's the challenge I think is, is, uh, somehow the quest has to become bigger than the end result. Yeah. And I don't know how we teach that. Um, I don't even know how we live that all the time, but right. I do feel like that's the, an important step in anybody's maturity as a bow hunter is to be able to get to that point. So, yeah, I mean, some of the issues you were bringing up, like I think are, are real issues, you know, where, you know, people get just too hung up on the score or whatever, but I don't know that that's a problem with scoring. I, I think that it, 
it's a problem that that particular hunter hasn't really thought through why they're there and hasn't like processed the whole experience. And like, why do I do this? Do I really do this for the inches? And, and it's probably not, I, I would guess. I mean, most people do it because they love the process. And if that's the case, then try to find ways to direct your satisfaction and enjoyment level back toward the measurement of the process, you know, and you can still have these big goals. You can still like, I, I have a lifelong goal of shooting an official Boone and Crockett 170 whitetail haven't done it. And, and the journey to get there is going to be the ride of a lifetime. Like it is yeah. going to be so much fun and I'm going to enjoy every single sit and I'm not rushed to get there. And if I shoot one that I think is there, which I've done and he wasn't, bonus i get to keep going that's the good news yeah. i get to keep going you know that's funny and, yeah I, I anyway, tell you what, I what would be a fun podcast sometime and, and i've thought about writing about this for the magazines but i haven't done it yet but what would i do legally if i had to kill a 170 to save my life this season oh nice what would i do different you know how would i approach my season yeah I'll say that that you don't have an unlimited budget. You know, you can't just go high fence or whatever. I mean, it's gotta be fair chase. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, or say you had a budget of, of 10,000 or $5,000 yeah, or something. Right? Yeah. 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 How would so you maybe, go about doing that? Maybe yeah. you can go on an outfitted hunt, but you're not going to go on 10 outfitted hunts. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, there's no $5,000 outfitted hunt that can guarantee a 170. I mean, obviously there's no market for that. And then if no you look way. at a, if you look at an outfitted hunt, most of those are going to get you five days. What can I do in five days? It's luck. Yeah, yeah. it is ways. I think you'd be it. best probably getting a lease. Well, you know, spend as much time as you want on. I think you'd pick the states where you can legally fly. Oh, um, and you'd fly like I think you can legally fly in Kansas. I know you can in Iowa. Um, you would in Iowa would be tough because the, the cover is a little bit thicker. But you'd fly. You can legally fly in Alberta. Um, mm. You know, you, you can't fly within or hunt within six hours of flying. But you've got to find yeah. those deer. You know, so yeah. the first thing you got to do is you got to find a guy that will get you in the air, um, and then you got to find your options, and then you got to go knock on doors. I mean, your life depends on this. You know, it's not like you get to like, oh, well, I didn't get one. No, that is to, awesome. You're going under the axe if you don't get it. Um, hey, so at least yeah. then, Bill, you'd be justified in being sad when it's only 169 because yeah. you're going to die. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's an awesome article. Yeah, I need to do that. I, I maybe yeah. I'll do an episode for the for the series on that and just talk about you know, how you would do it. I think people would get a big kick out of that. Because um, mm -hmm. I've got an idea. Because I've thought about it. It's like, and again, you're thinking, okay, this is what some people do, you know, on on a, on big game hunts. Not necessarily whitetails. Some some of them, you know, I know people who consistently kill really really big whitetails, and they're not just hunting their farms. No. You know, they they've got a wide net. They've got a network of people. They've got this whole thing wired. That's right. You know, I I mean, I don't. I I just hunt my own land or places nearby or you know whatever you know i mean I'm, I'm not trying to kill the biggest deer in the country every year but there are people who are trying and there are people who are successful at doing it because they're doing these extreme things that we're only laughing about yeah. right right so you know i look at guys like randy almer and some of his western hunting you know and it's like 
if there's a legal way to find out if there's a 200 plus inch mule deer, I bet you Randy's trying it. Yeah. You yeah, know he's not messing around. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't leave any variable to chance. Uh, and so many times, like we do that with whitetail hunting, we even get kind of lazy once we're hunting a big deer. Well, I haven't seen him for five days, you know, and now I, I start cutting corners, you know, I start getting lazy, you know, I don't do all the little things right. Well, I haven't seen him for a week. Well, I, I, he's not even here anymore. You, know, you kind of get sloppy. Um, you know, I just feel like, you know, anyway, maybe we're off topic too far. But no, this is this well, is a really interesting discussion. I'm yeah. I'm enjoying this a lot. Well, this is I, more interesting than how do we count the inches on a G two. Yeah, and <laughs> and Bill, I'm kind of glad you went into you know us getting lazy as hunters when it comes to that. Like, you know, one of the stories I love, uh, you told it on your your YouTube channel couple of weeks ago and it was the story of one of the bucks that you were after and he was living on one specific ridge line and you were going in and basically as a whitetail hunter in Iowa you were bivy hunting on this buck because of wow. his his travel patterns and his tendencies so you were sleeping on him in a specific spot watching the wind to be able to get in first thing in the morning without him knowing it before you finally killed him yeah and that was you know, something that kind of had been in the back of my mind for a while, but, you know, I always had a cameraman, you know, and it's like, what are you going to do with this poor guy, you know, that's with you? You know, not only do we have to figure out how to get one person on the ground quietly sleeping, but now we got to get two people and all of our camera gear and all the other stuff that goes with filming these hunts, you know. Um, and everybody says, well, it's twice as hard, or they think it's twice as hard to kill a, a big white tail with a cameraman. It's four times as hard. It's not twice as hard. Because you can't do all the little stuff that you can get away with when you're hunting by yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, uh, I, I just kind of had the opportunity finally without a camera guy following me. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not leaving. But, you know, I guess the, the quote that came out of it that, that kind of stuck with people was, if you can't get in and out clean, you know, without the deer knowing that you're hunting them, then you have two choices. Either you don't hunt that spot or you don't leave it. Mm -hmm. um, because if the coming and going is what's getting you in trouble, then you can't come and go. So either right. you don't hunt it, which would be one way to stop, you know, coming and going, or you don't leave, uh, which is the other way. And that's that was the solution that I opted for. Um, and it worked. I mean, it did work. Uh, you killed And, and I went into a lot of I went into a lot of detail about how boring it is to do that. But, uh, you know, I did end up killing the buck. It took me 20 days. <laughs> I didn't stay. I didn't stay in there for twenty days, Alan. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not anywhere near that hardcore. But I had uh, uh, probably during that time, I, I probably slept out ten ten times. Um, whether awesome. it was you know, on the ground, you know, near my tree stand, or in a ground blind. Um, yeah. So not to there. not to try to join your club or anything, but three uh, two weeks ago, I was in Oregon hunting blacktail. And I spent three nights in a row in a blind. Yeah. And didn't no, get them to work. It does it work. work. Uh, they were coming in in the morning, you know, in the dark. Yeah. And, and anyway, it, so yeah, it, it worked. It didn't work for me. I had, I did have an opportunity. I mean, not an opportunity, but they passed by my blind uh, just after dark and were on the cameras, like within 20 yards, like just out of shooting light or legal shooting light. Yeah. But it was close. It was, it was fun and it was very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I got very little sleep because I was worried you know, about making noise all night. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the key to it, um, you know, and, and 
I, I snore, I guess, you know? Yeah. And yeah. So that's a tricky one because I only snore when I'm on my back. So I had to be really careful, you know, how I slept and stuff because, you know, your wife gives you the elbow or whatever and you roll over, but the deer don't give you the elbow, you know, at two in the morning. They give you the middle hoof. Yeah. They might give you the, the snort, but I had a couple of mornings when I woke up and there'd be does like 10 yards away staring at me. I'm like, yeah. how come you're standing there staring at me? Well, I, I guarantee you they heard me snoring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty awesome though. It's funny. So let's, well, we're, we were, we were headed a few minutes ago before I drug us back to those topics. We were talking about judging off of cameras versus a true field judge. Mm-hmm. Um, Evan, you were telling me that you're going to be hunting a piece of ground this year that you are not going to like be heavily scouting with cameras. You're going yeah. in and hunting, which yeah. by the way, I've heard a lot is becoming more and more of a fad. I wouldn't say it's a fad, but there are guys out there that are getting sick of only hunting deer that they've seen on cameras mm-hmm. and they want to go back kind of retro style. And I'm going to freaking climb a tree on a piece of ground. I haven't scouted the heck out of, and I'm going to hunt and see what walks by. And I'm going to get the rush of having to judge a buck on the hoof that I've never seen before. Is that what you're doing, Evan? Yeah. So one of the landowners that we have uh, was getting older and a couple of years ago, started leasing his agriculture ground to another farmer, but retained the hunting rights. So we were able to get access to that. And last year was the last year he did that. He has now turned everything over, hunting rights included. So we had to go talk to the new, basically the new landowner tenant and get permission for the old ground, which we did, but it also includes all of his ground. So we picked up another, I don't know, 7,000-ish acres on a river bottom. And (laughs) it's just like... We, we, we can world. we can hunt all that too so like have not made a trip back um i have never stepped foot on any of that new ground um i knew that he was the owner but have always seen it from a distance don't know what it looks like on the ground don't know how much water's in there how the terrain rules don't know how big the trees are if they're good cottonwoods if they are Russian olive and locust trees. So yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of uh, saddle hunting and hanging hunts and just being as mobile as physically possible. So, so Bill, what advice would you give Evan? So Evan, let's actually, let's back up one sec step. Evan, what type of deer would you be happy to shoot? Not, of course you would dream to shoot some monster, but what, what would you be happy with? 140 or better. 140, like a four-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Bill, how would you help Evan give Evan some advice on how he can determine if he has a 140 inch four-year-old walking by his stand on the hoof live? Okay. So this has been advice that I give people a lot. And, and, um, it starts with, if you don't have time to like come up with a number, like, okay, here he comes. You know, he just, you just, jump the creek and he's on a doe and he's, you know, I got five seconds to pull this together. The last thing I need to be doing is trying to count inches. Right. Mm-hmm. So I've got to be figuring out where my shooting lanes are, how far away he is. Am I going to stop him? Am I going to shoot him walking? You know, there's a lot of decisions that have to, have to happen fast. Well, 
I tell people, if you have to talk yourself into shooting him, he's too small. Don't. Um, so you'll know if he's a shooter. You're going to go, okay, he's a shooter. I mean, if you go, oh, I don't know if he is or not, you better not. Just because, let go. You know, yeah. unless you've killed tons and tons of really big deer, um, they have to trip your trigger. And if you're trying to convince yourself that he's big enough, he usually isn't. Um, rarely does that ever work the other way unless he's got a giant body, you know, and, and it just makes his rack look small. But other than that, nine times out of ten, if, if you say, oh, I think he's big enough, he's not. Yeah. Okay. Bill, does, does body size on – you know, there's certain animals like um, Rocky Mountain goat, for example, where body size is unbelievably important. Like, it, in fact, if a mountain goat has big horns, do not shoot it because it means he's a three-year-old. <laughs> because his body's so on, small in relation. Yeah, his face. Their faces yeah. are tiny when they're three years old. But when they get to be five, six, seven years old, they have these huge horse heads and it dwarfs even 10-inch horns. Mm-hmm. So you need to judge their face and their body and then say, okay, yeah, I mean, really, it's hard to say those horns look tiny because his head's so big. And that's just kind of how it goes, mountain goat hunting. But yeah. the big mistake you make is shooting one that looks like it has big horns. But how important do you think body size and age is on like ground surprise, ground shock or ground growth shrinkage, yeah. you know, on a white tail? I think it's a big deal too, uh, because you can get some really nice looking two-year-olds uh, on, on the whitetail world. And I've seen some two-year-olds that would score in the one forties. And but how big do they look? You know, right. They look like small the, body. Yeah. They look like the one sixties, one seventies. Right. 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 Yeah. So that's, that's the trick. And, and obviously we've seen that with Texas deer too. You know, you'd be watching them on video and I've hunted Texas a little bit, not a ton, but you'll watch a video hunt on a Texas buck and he'll look like a one ninety. The guy goes over there and, and picks him up and he's like a one fifty. Yeah. You know, wow. be, because his body is so small, you know, compared to his rack. And, yeah. and uh, yeah. so once in a while it, it flips and it'll trick you the other way. But, um, you know, once in a while you'll get one that's just a, you know, a Hereford bull and he'll make a 150 inch rack look small. Um, yeah. But normally it's the other way. Normally, you know, we tend to think we see that two year old or that even maybe even a, a three year old. Those are the ones that really trick us in the whitetail world. Um, you know, who cares what his, what his score is if he's four or five or whatever years old, you know, but so often those two-year-old bucks, because they're so spindly and thin, you know, like you said, their heads are small. Everything about them is just kind of wiry. Mm-hmm. Well, they can make a 140-inch rack with giant. Um, mm-hmm. They can make a 120-inch rack. With Look like a 140. Big. Yeah. yeah. So shot that, one of those. Yeah. I, I think it's super important to... Uh, get a sense of the age of the deer first um, yeah. because you know, the age, <clears throat> excuse me, the age and the shape of the body, they kind of tie together uh, anyway, you know, as far as like determining what the rack looks like, because you, you know, the two year old looks skinny and makes the rack look big. Well, he starts getting older and that all kind of goes away. You, know, you don't have that concern anymore. So generally those two year olds are the ones that throw you off the worst. And it's fun so, to shoot old stuff. Like it's just, it's so exciting. Last year I, I shot a buck that was in the high one forties and we thought, we thought he was young. Like, and, and I was kind of hesitant. It was the last day of the season and I shot him, but when we recovered him, he was much old, like he's five and a half year old buck. And I was freaking pumped. I, it totally changed. It, it did, he didn't grow, 
is inches yeah. didn't grow, but I realized I didn't shoot a three and a half year old. I shot a five and a half year old and we just got them wrong. And I was so freaking excited about it. Shooting yeah, old yeah. stuff is cool. I think that's healthy for, for the sport um, is, is looking at age because then you, you start putting a standard in front of people that's attainable. And again, mm-hmm. let's just pick on Pennsylvania or Michigan, for example, and, and just say that most people are killing two, two-year-old bucks now, let's say, for example. And granted, yeah. you know, a high percentage of might still be one-and-a-half-year-olds, but there's enough people killing two-year-olds. That kind of feels like this, you know, the average now. Well, mm-hmm. that means that a three-year-old is a really serious trophy. Yeah. Um, and that, is that is the that trophy trophy. issue there, like the antler size issue in those two states, is it because of the age class? Yeah. 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 I mean, they can grow everything that, you know, any other Midwestern or Great Lakes state can grow as far as, you know, antler size, but they just have to get the age. Right. Um, you know, so. Well, big tracks of private, they still have really good, really yeah. big antler deer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and gotcha. I'm sure there's good genetic pockets because of, you know, whatever reason, but sometimes nutrition comes into play, but those aren't states that are, you know, nutritionally challenged uh, typically. Yeah. I mean, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, there's some big woods areas there, but there's a lot of ag and a lot of, you know, a lot of food there for those guys too. Yeah. So, so, so back to Evan's judging, let me, let me ask you this question. Cause I, a really good friend of mine that's killed about 30 giant bucks in his life. He's an older guy. Um, he, he gave me the advice when I told him it was my dream to kill a 170. He said, if you see a, a 10 pointer with 12 inch G2, G3s, shoot, he's Boone and Crockett. That's what he said, period. He's like, if he's 10 points and he has 12 inch G2 and G3s, he's going to be there or, or dang close. Or really close. Yeah. And so yeah. I wonder, can that you can judge without any thought? Like how, yeah. how long are the back two points period? Right. Well, and, and you can, there's another way to play that one too, that I've had some success with or not success necessarily, but you know, that, that, that makes sense. Um, the, the G4 on a 10 pointer, the length of that has almost a, like, if it's a balance rack, if it's a four inch, he's a 140. If it's an eight inch, he's a 180. If the rack is balanced. Hmm. You know, because that G4 kind of, you know, because everything kind of works its way down, you know, as it goes out on the beam, of course. Um, and if, he, if he's got a 10 inch four and everything looks balanced, he's a 200 inch buck. Um, wow. So that, that does kind of hold up a little bit too. So if you have to judge them really quick, you know, as long as you, sometimes you get a buck with a really short G2, you know, like you've got genetics that just run to short G2s. Yeah, so right, right, it won't right. work there. You know, you better back off some, but. If the rack looks balanced, you know, like it's you know, how they're supposed to look, you know, the classic traditional 10 point rack. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if you go to the other side, you say, okay, I want to shoot a Pope and Young. Um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was MR James way back in the day with Bowhunter Magazine. He had a number, I think it was 27 inches up, is what he called it. If, if the rack has 27 inches up, uh, it's a Pope and Young on one, one antler. One beam. So you add up the three points or the so, just whatever how many points there are. Yeah. Yeah. So any points brow time up, plus any of the you don't get to count the beam. So whatever upright points you've got on one beam, I think it was twenty seven inches that, that he came up with. And he said mm-hmm. it's it's gonna make Pope and Young, you know, almost every time. Including the brow time and yeah. the two, three, four, and, there's four. But yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Right. So on an eight pointer, you know, you got the brow, the two and the three. You know, if you can get 25, it's 25 or 27, but if you can get that many inches out of that, 
then he's he's an open young buck. And uh, yeah, yeah. you know, so that that's another one that I've heard thrown around a fair amount. You know, as far as how to quick score for a for a standard. Um, but yeah, I, I do feel like unless you've got sticker points, you know, that can that can throw things off too. Of course, if you're going gross score versus net, but um, that looking at that G four on the 10 pointer is going to give you a, a real quick indication of what you got. That's a good tip. Yeah, it is. Let me think how that plays into what that guy told me. He said, if the two and three are 12 each, that would mean that would be 170. And you're saying that the four needs to be seven as the estimate for 170, right? Right. Well, I mean, he could, if he's got a seven inch four and he's got 10 inch, you know, twos and threes or 11, you know, I mean, if it's yeah. balanced, it's right there. Yeah, he's going to be yeah. there. I mean, I'm not saying yeah, he'll yeah. make 170, you know, but he's at least ballparking around there. Ballpark. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. That's a quick ballpark. Yeah, for sure. I like that. And, and you'd obviously, if you're going to get right down to dialing in the inch, um, you're probably going to have to look at his ear length and, you know, start, you know, gauging. Like, then you can take a trail camera picture and spend, you know, 45 minutes looking at it and, you know, and using his ears like seven inches long and saying, okay, this, this, you know, you can start to, so do you feel on a Midwest whitetail, seven inch ear is on a mature buck? I think it's seven to eight is what, what the experts call it. Um, seven to eight. Well, yeah. that's you, Bill, you got to realize you are the expert. Yeah. Well, I see, but I'm not the expert at scoring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, sure, I'm not sure I'm the expert at anything, but I'm, I'm definitely not the expert at scoring. Uh, okay. Because it's just something that, that I, I, I treat it as like a frosting on the cake. You know, it's yeah, not the cake. Gotcha. Well, I think, I think this, it's cool because this has lent itself to some nice philosophical discussions on, on scoring and why we hunt and mm -hmm. even some, some good information on scoring. So you feel like some guys, if they're, if they're getting really serious about score and they're using a camera, they're actually measuring the ear or they're attempting to, and trying to get some perspective on the rack. Yeah. That's the only way you can kind of, I feel like really? the only way you can do it. Yeah. Because yeah. you got to have a reference point. Mm -hmm. You know, what's your yeah. reference point? Because again, it could be a really small bodied deer. You know, you don't know what you're, what you're dealing with. Cause you can put 125 inch rack on a small bodied deer and take a bunch of pictures of me. It looks like a 140, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. and I've heard I got to have something. And I've heard some antelope outfitters when it comes to field judging, talk about again, ears or the eye using those as references for stuff like that. Like, you know, antelope's eyes are two inches wide. So using that to adjust and, and approximate what a cutter would be for, for depth there. And then, you know, ears five inches to approximate the height. Yeah. And antelope are so uh, mass heavy on score, mm -hmm. you know, an antelope has, you know, as far as the length, you know, say it's a, you know, 16 inch buck. I mean, if you're looking for an 82 inch goat and 32 inches is coming from length mm -hmm. and the rest is mass. And I know you're going to say the prong, but really the prong is almost a mass measurement because you're getting the entire width the entire length of it. as well. So, yeah. I mean, it's the same with the mountain goat. They're so mass heavy, a 50 inch Boone and Crockett goat only has 20 inches of length between the two horns and 30 inches from mass. Nice. Um, I actually looked this up before this, this call just because I was curious about it, but if it, let me just ask you guys, just for the heck of it, the average mass on a Boone and Crockett buck in there in, that's ever been entered. And that's 160 plus because the awards book starts at 160, 160. in the Alpine book. Yeah. So 
just guess what is the average mass on any buck ever entered in Boone and Crockett 160 and above? 32. Uh, I would have been right there, 30, 34. So. 35 and a half. Yeah. 35 and a half, I looked it up. But if you think about 100, I don't know, you know, quickly what percentage 35 is of 170, it's a small percentage, you know, and it's like people get, I mean, mass, there's nothing cooler to see. But if you're looking for inches, it's not. Yeah. You know, at it's, least on, it's, a, on an antler game. It's sub 20%. Well, it's, yeah. it's all about tying it's all about tying length with the yeah. whitetails. And right. And uh even when you're looking at young ones and you're saying, you know, what's this buck gonna grow into if he gets a year or two? Uh, I love those spindly kind of no mass, gangly looking racks, rangy, but with long tines. You know, they might only score, you know, he might score 140 as a two-year-old, but you look at the rack and you go, you know, he, because the, the thing that gets whitetails is those, those stunt out. Their time length will like get stubby. You know, they'll grow, you know, maybe they'll grow seven inch twos and threes, but they'll still be, you know, cool, mature bucks. Yeah. But they're never going to be high scoring deer. Yeah. So if you're looking for that genetic potential of a buck that's young and you're saying, oh man, I can't wait to see that buck in two years. You want time length. Forget about everything Interesting. else. Yeah. That is a really good tip, Bill. Really good tip. That makes a lot of sense. So a spindly long young deer. Oh, they're awesome. I love into a awesome. giant. Yeah, they're they're the yeah. giants in the making. They're the giants huh. in the making. It's not. You don't want that mass at at age two because they usually stub out somewhere. They just yeah. They, they generally don't carry that you know through and 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 produce you know long times when they're five years old. Uh, they really good tip. Out. That's a really good tip. Where do you find like the biggest jump? What, what age? I used to say three to four. And that's probably true. Um, I've seen some gigantic jumps from three to four. I, I hunted a buck one time. Uh, there was two of us that were on the property. It was 1999. And uh, the deer, I figured he grossed 170. And he came in twice on me. And the first time I saw him, I grabbed my bow and I was you know, clipping the release on the string. And I thought, gosh, he's just so young. I'm sure he's only three years old. You know, if I'm ever going to kill a 190, you know, I can't kill this deer. And he had some, you know, a couple of inside points or one inside point, whatever. That's what made him the 170. It wasn't like he had this, you know, big, beautiful, clean, net, typical 170 rack. But I thought, gosh, I can't shoot him. So then the next time I saw him I was in that same stand and I saw him coming, I put my hands in my pockets because I didn't want to be tempted, you know, to grab my bow and shoot him, you know, because <laughs> the same looked, year you're saying, yeah, cause he looks yeah. so good coming in. So yeah. let's just say he was gross 170. Um, he, he, my friend, Larry Zock, the, the wildlife artist killed him the next year. I didn't get a tag to hunt there, unfortunately. Um, so in 2000, 2000, Larry killed him. And he grossed uh, 245 with one of the inside points broke off. Oh, so my goodness. Like, he was like a 253 um, on oh. the hoof, four-year-old. He put on 80 inches. 85 gross inches. Oh, my goodness. That's the most I've, that's the most I've ever seen. Um, and I've seen some other ones that will do. I saw one in my backyard one time. Went from probably, well, I know he was 185 um, as a three-year-old. 185 is a three-year-old and he went to 225 um so he put on 40 gross inches from three to four uh but he was a gigantic three-year-old but the uh did you kill that buck bill no i i it's too long of a story for today 
Okay. Yeah, <laughs> don't, that's all right. Don't bring up the heartache. Right yeah, I, I can see the pain. All right. That was probably my greatest disappointment as a bow hunter. That that buck was uh, because he was living in our that. backyard. Yeah. Um, you know. So anyway, there's that's a story for another day. But that that was a phenomenal deer, also. But he didn't come even close to that buck that Zach killed. Uh, yeah. That's close to 85 gross inches in one year. That's now believable. Do you, how much of that do you attribute to nutritional options that he had, whether that was, you know, again, the good rainfall, so beans, corn, the, the crops that were around versus the genetic one age group up? He was, he was Shaquille O'Neal. Um, you know, and if something would have happened to Shaq when he was 12 years old, we never would have known what he was going to be. Um, you know, there was only one of him, you know, and, and that's what this buck was, you know, he just had that freakish genetics to put on antlers. And, you know, Larry even asked all of us what we thought, you know, what do you think? Should we pass this deer or should I pass him? And nobody said to pass him, you know, because, you know, you just don't know. I mean, the deer was, he was the state record when, when state record non typical was a four-year-old in the state of Iowa. Um, and Larry killed him. And, and he was only the state record for a couple of weeks before somebody else killed one bigger. But still, it doesn't doesn't change the fact that um, he was one of the biggest non-typicals ever killed in the history of the state of Iowa. That's four. And there's no way you're going to pass that deer. But just, what if yeah. that deer would have snuck another year in? He could have yeah. scored 290. You know, just, I, I like the fact that I'm talking to the guy who let him walk twice as a three-year-old. Well, he, he, he that's clutch, but he's been a year older. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Which, yeah, wow. So that was the early. That was early in my in my education of of you know why you let them go when they're young. You're not you're not shooting them based on score. You're shooting them based on age because the odd one is going to pop off and be gigantic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But but they they don't all. Sometimes you you'll see one. You think, oh man, he's going to be a, a giant. Well, he he plateaus at age four. And he just right. never gets there. Yeah. And I've also seen, had one on my farm, um, EHD got him. I wish I could have killed this deer, but as a, he was an eight pointer and as a five-year-old, he was maybe pushing 170, real massive, you know, and maybe he got up to 180 by the time he was six years old. Um, EHD got him when he was eight. He grossed 205. His biggest wow. rack by, by far was at age eight. Wow. Wow. And, and, He's uh, kept growing. Yeah. Now, I mean, I, I was in a position where I maybe could have killed that deer. He was starting to, his range was starting to get smaller. You know, that buck was, he was a really, really hard one to hunt when he was younger. But as he was getting older, his range started getting smaller. And there was some hope for, you know, that maybe I could have got on him. But, you know, EHD killed him sometime in late September uh, that year. But <clears throat> yeah, he was, so he, he, there are no absolutes. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are no absolutes in this stuff because everybody says, Oh, they max out at age five or they max out at age six, or they make their big jump from three to four. Well, uh, he made a really impressive jump from seven to eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sometimes I think when they quit breeding, when they quit breeding, they make a big jump, um, yeah. reach a certain age where um, it always seems like right before they make that big jump, right after that, they die. Um, you know, for one reason or another, it's weird. Wow. But uh, I saw another one one time, not to not to drag this out, but he was a 150-inch buck his whole life. I don't know what age he was, but, man, he was old. He went to 195 one wow. year. He was 150-inch deer every year for probably five years, and then, boom, 195. 
So you saw wow. him at 150. So he had to have been at least at least four. Oh, he was three when you I think yeah. when he made the big jump, he was seven or eight years old. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, huh. man. Yeah, weird. That's so, really, really incredible. So Bill, one of the things that caught on that last one was as as that previous buck that hit eight made that big jump. You had mentioned his home range shrinking. Mm-hmm. Is that something because nobody else has as much history with specific deer as you that I've ever known because of the amount of cameras that you're running, how well you know your farm and the animals that are on it. Do you find that that's a typical trend that as deer gain those ages, that home range starts to shrink significantly, or is it just certain animals are going to do that and certain animals may actually increase that home range? I think as a trend, they're, they're all going to decrease it. That's what I think. I shouldn't say it's, it's no absolute, but you would, you would be, you know, betting that they would get, they would shrink their range as they get older. Um, age six seems to be kind of like a magic age for whitetails. Everything that's interesting to us as hunters, gets more interesting when they hit six. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest challenge in killing a six-year-old buck is getting him to age six. They are t- totally a different animal to hunt typically after that age because they walk more in the daylight the ranges are smaller they become in some cases the easiest deer on the whole farm to hunt is um, that right yeah it's weird the hardest part of killing him is getting him that age you know and, yeah. and uh, so i mean what more can you ask for than a buck who moves a lot during the day who has a small range yeah I mean, it's like yeah. that that is so killable he's, he's gonna walk that, past this tree on every third day between this time frame he walks past that tree every day on at, at an hour before dark. You know, that's, that's how predictable they get a lot of times when they get that, that old. Um, so I never take credit. <clears throat> I never take credit for being, you know, an awesome deer hunter if I'm hunting only six year old deer because <laughs> they're pretty easy to kill. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So we actually, my wife's first buck, we got two pictures of him on our camera, but we would see him every single day between it was about an hour and 15 minute window we needed to look out the, the kitchen window and we'd see him and we went in there the second day hunting him 45 minutes before that that window hit and we killed him 30 minutes later and he was he was a, a typical 10 with 14 inch twos and threes oh, but his his fours were stunted he had a five inch on one side and a two and a half on the other they went 171 wow but three people all looked at him and on trail camera pictures we judged him 150 155. Hmm. but how old how old do you think that buck was evan uh, older than six and a half yeah or, or at that body. or at that six and a half yeah 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 big enough body that we're going yeah i mean i can see 150 155 out of him until he steps in on the hoof and you're like nope he's quite a bit bigger than that that was your yeah. wife's first buck? First buck. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we targeted that one for her because he was right behind mom and dad's <laughs> place. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Spoiled. Yes. Well, yeah, I, think she that, is. Yeah. <laughs> I wish everybody would have that opportunity where they hunt to see bucks reach that age. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, we're not, you know, we're not going to say, hey, don't enjoy the sport of bow hunting. But man, if everybody would just back off until there was a lot more older bucks, then everybody would have the opportunity to hunt those kind of deer 
And it's just so much easier and so much more fun. Um, You know, you're not just beating your head against the wall all the time like you are in some of these ghosts, you know, these younger bucks that are nocturnal for the most part and, Mm -hmm. and they have this big range. I mean, you might hunt the whole season. He's only on the property twice the whole yeah. time you're there, you know? Right. So yep. it's really refreshing. Like I said, once in a while to get these old ones, it, it kind of renews your, your uh, belief that you actually know what you're doing because they're so much easier to kill. Mm-hmm. So uh, going to age, if you're looking at a buck on the hoof that you haven't had a lot of time to look at on a camera, how would you, quick the most the the one or two features that are kind of your go-to features to judge age well the easiest one is the do the does his legs look long or does his legs look short okay if his legs look long he's young um and that's just a quick one mm-hmm. if his legs look short he's old because okay. everything else kind of starts sagging um the other one that you fall back on is the shape of his body like especially in the distance you know if he looks like a rectangle Mm -hmm. that he's an older deer and if Mm -hmm. he looks like a racehorse you know with the narrow waist and he's a younger deer um, if you can see any discernible rise from his brisket up to his abdomen he's probably young Um, Mm -hmm. and the older ones they just they just kind of sag there they they look like rectangles or even more they have the pot belly Mm -hmm. Um, those are the really quick cues but the quickest one Obviously, if he's got loose skin around his neck and you start looking at his face, does his face look old? And you can get into all kinds of stuff. Don't look at the color. Everybody says, oh, he's got a great face. Well, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> That's just genetics. Not like humans. Yeah. 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 You, you can't go by the color of his hair or his face. But if he looks like he's rectangle shaped, you know, he's probably at least four. Uh, yeah. Because even the three-year-olds kind of have that narrow waist like a racehorse, you know. Yeah. Um, so that those are just the really quick ones that I go by. But if he looks long-legged, I don't care what he's got on his head. He's probably young. Do you do you find that there's a difference in how you kind of look at that body based on like an August, September, still early, early in that summer coat versus that, you know, mid to late October and November timeframe? Because they've had the chance to fill out and they've put more hair on for the winter and they're just they look well, bigger next and fluffier. Too, and that changes their look. Yeah. yeah. I think they all look younger during the summer than what they look yeah. like in the fall and um that's where i wouldn't feel comfortable trying to field age a buck in august you know i'd feel way more comfortable in october you okay. know watching him walk past at 30 yards i'd have a way better chance i think of getting it right in october than i would in august yeah makes sense well bill this has been really educational and very it's been a fun talk too. I, I like, I like the direction it took. So it, it was a lot more interesting than, than, yeah. Like I said, like how long is this G2? What's your, what's your go-to, you know, but that's, that's great, man. I love, I love your opinions and this, this, if we could get everybody to kill older deer, oh, what, what a happy world we'd live in. <laughs> yes. It would be, I think everybody had more fun. It's just hard, you know, getting people to make that sacrifice for a season or two. Yeah, that's right. Well, get, for, what's that, Evan? I was just say for it to pay dividends two and three years down the road, it'd be worth it. Yeah, yeah, it would. It would be a very interesting. I mean, we see we see the experiment take place, you know, in areas that start to get leased up, and and then because of that, everybody's standards rise up a little bit, and then the whole area improves, and it's it's a magical thing to see. Um, 
well, maybe, maybe someday, but uh, guys, uh, thank you for, for joining and it's great talk and uh, Bill, we'll have to do this again. I want, I want to, I want to do a whole podcast on if I were going to die, yeah. <laughs> if I didn't kill a 170 this year, how would I do it? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you come up with something? No, I'm going to yeah. take notes on this. I can, I'm going to take notes because yeah. I'm going to, I mean, whatever you say the formula is, I'm going to do it. If you think of it, if you start putting the pedal to the metal like that, and it's like, boy, I got to get really serious about this, then you, you would change all the stuff that you do. So it's yeah. like, why do we have to have the threat of, of you know, of, of somebody killing us in order to do the things we know we should do? <laughs> Good point. Right. On. We'll look forward to that. Thanks, fellas. Absolutely. Yep. Good talking to you guys.